Shane, I was going to sing the first two verses <laughs> of O oh Death by Ralph Stanley to uh, connote what your season personifies this year, but I won't do it. Uh, I'm too tired. But- oh, baby. Oh, baby. Once by me, Hello, Chelsea friends. Welcome to another edition of the London is Calling podcast. I am your exasperated, stressed out, and exhausted host, Carlito. I hope everybody is enjoying themselves on this Father's Day Sunday. I don't know what was going on with Jack Grealish. He was diving like he was Greg Luganis out there. It's absolutely ridiculous watching him play football. Great player, but incredibly frustrating, and I can understand why people do not like him. Paul, how are you? Very well, Carlito. I, I got to say, you got to chill out a little bit. I, I always knew we were going to come good. Well, uh, pardon me for having pent-up frustration and nerves for 105 days. We needed this one, and we needed this one badly. We are oh, yeah. joined by, I don't know if he's given up, but he's a really good friend of mine, and he's an Arsenal fan, and... I don't want to say I feel bad for him because I just despise his team so much, but I do love the guy himself. We got the brother man on, Shane, a.k.a. Luca Pacioli. How are you, Luca? Um, I'm very frustrated on this uh, blessed Sunday, given Arsenal's recent form. But other than that, I'm doing well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I hear you, brother, and I'm glad that you came on. So there was this show that was in mid – or no, it was in afternoon drive, actually – on ESPN for a couple of years, three to six, the right time with Bomani Jones. Will Kane eventually took that spot, and now Will Kane, I believe, is going to Fox News. So that'll be vacated, and it's interesting to see who will take that spot. But the right time with Bomani Jones ended in December of 2017, and the brother man and I, Shane, we were concerned that it was not going to come back, but it eventually came back in podcast form. It is a brilliant listen. Bomani Jones is 100% the smartest person at ESPN. And we happen to have very, uh, very graciously, we happen to have on his producer, Gabe Bassain. Gabe Bassain is also a huge Chelsea fan, and I am excited to talk to this dude. Gabe, how are you, bud? Good to be with you guys. Good to be with you guys. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, Paul, so let's get this popping. Let's get right into it. We want to talk about Arsenal. That's right. We'll we'll give... uh... The brother man, a.k.a. Luca, a little uh, intro into his Arsenal frustrations. All right, Shane, so I know that you're frustrated with Arteta, you're frustrated with the lineup, and anytime anybody watches uh, Matteo Ganduzzi play football, it's got to be frustrating. What's going on with your team, man? Uh, let's, let's address the elephant in the room first, Mezu Ozil. Uh-huh. Uh, Ozil is often used as a scapegoat for Arsenal, and it really deflects from what exactly is wrong at the club. Arsenal went away to Man City and Ozil was left out because of a tactical decision. This tactical decision included Joe Willock and Matteo Guendouzi in the midfield. Joe Willock is not only inexperienced, but he's tactically clueless and he doesn't like defending. Mm-hmm. He only likes falling forward. Arsenal has Ainsley Maitland-Niles in addition to Ozil, 
and they let Mohamed El Nene go on loan, Mkhitaryan go to on loan, and got Sibelos from Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. And Sibelos, as I've always stated, is an average player. He doesn't really add much. And for a center midfielder, if I was playing against him, his angles would be broken. Because every time he <laughs> receives the ball, he spins it like a Like, it, it's ridiculous what I hear. Um, he played one game against Burnley where his turns came off. And it only came off because Burnley sits deep and allows team to come at them. Whenever Sibelos receives the ball, he has to take two or three touches to get off from his feet. And that really shows that he's positionally weak for center midfielder. And he doesn't understand his role in keeping the game. But the Oza situation is clearly a board-mandated approach. They, they want to get him off the wage bill, mm-hmm. which I don't understand because Ozil has sold a lot of T-shirts. His marketing capability has helped Arsenal stay relevant in a period where we couldn't attract any big players. The only two players from Arsenal that would get in to a proper side is Aubameyang, and maybe Ozil. Everyone else are average players. Yeah. So to act like if you have the luxury of leaving Ozil out, one of the few players who can actually keep the ball, who can play the one-two is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Unai Emery has done it and now Arteta, I'm forced to believe that this is a board-mandated approach. And yeah. the problem with that is Arsenal have a lot more deficiency than that. Yeah. Brighton scored on a simple one-two, where both... Shakra Mustafi and Rob Holding were turned. In addition to that, Matteo Guendouzi was out of position and Joe Willock, who's also playing centre midfield, was all the way up on the left. Yeah. So those four players who could have present, prevented that goal if they were just in the right position. In addition to that, you have your best goal scorer playing on the left and not on the shoulder of the last man as he should be doing. I don't care how fast Aubameyang is, his versatility... He does miss a few sitters, but he's more efficient in front of goal. So I don't understand that approach. And the only player who can pass a ball into him or into Pepe is Ozil. The goal Pepe scored is the only ball that he got at the top of the box where he's most dangerous. Yeah, He kept getting balls on the flank with two defenders around him with no space to run into, mm-hmm. which highlights his weaknesses. So Arsenal has a plethora of problems, but... To sum it all up, the problem is our board and our owners. We don't have a board or owner who's interested in winning. Yeah. If you look at Chelsea, Chelsea couldn't buy players last year, and they use this opportunity within the pandemic and reduce pricing players to get Zage and Werner in, yeah. who are two players who are going to add significant quality and versatility to a team that already has that. Because you got Mason Mount, you got Pulisic, you got Loftus Sheik just coming off an injury. You got Colin Hudson Odoi, you renew Juru, Tammy Abraham. So there's a wealth of options in Chelsea's lineup, and they still went out and threatened. So Arsenal is is in shambles, man. There's there's no other way to put it. Yeah, I know the the, the funny idiom that Arsenal fan TV says is it's the board, Robbie. But it really is the board, Robbie. Okay, yeah. I, I, let's be very clear. It really is the board, Robbie. Fucking hell, BT. Um, it's but, a shame. But to- but but to address Arsenal fan TV, they're they're a bit ridiculous too, right? Because they, they they're too flippy floppy for me. Yes. So Arsenal often blame Wenger, right? I'm a huge fan of Wenger, but there's no doubt he was past his, his prime. It was time for him to move on. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, when you had Arsene Wenger, you understood what Arsenal were doing. They possessed the ball. 
they'll move it quickly, they'll create chances. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You replace him with Unai Emery, you have no idea what he's doing. Arteta is obsessed with that Pep Guardiola style, which is okay, but you don't have the players to play that style. So as a coach, no. you should adjust to what you have. We've seen that on numerous occasions with Frank Lampard. We might not often agree with what he does, but you can understand what he's trying to do. And for the most part, he's been successful. Chelsea's in the top four, well on their way to a Champions League place. They're threatened and looking forward to next season. Uh, Gabe, what do you think about Arsenal? Before we get into the Chelsea game and Chelsea in general, what do you think about Arsenal? What do you think is going on there? I think my man was just given a top-down, solid, accurate description. There are not a lot of winners in the team. You know, there's there is a tried and true path when it comes to Arsenal from Arsenal to Chelsea for players to go win titles. Mm-hmm. And there aren't there just aren't a lot of winners in that team. It's totally true. It is a mentality thing. You know, it's it's all fine and well if you're a really good player, but you have to have that extra thing. Zidane had it, Cristiano Ronaldo has it in spades. And I just don't see it from the Arsenal players. I really don't. And that's not something that can be taught. It's just innate. It's in you. And you either have it or you don't. To be to be fair, I think Arteta is a good uh, manager for them because he has that mentality. Yes. In my opinion. Uh, yeah. Great player. And he's a very smart mind. So yeah. I'm, I'm with him. Uh, I know that people did not like his lineup on Wednesday and Saturday. But I believe in what he's doing. But like Shane said, you cannot force a formation and style of play on personnel. You have to adapt to what the personnel that you do have. Okay? You cannot force a formation or a style of play on players that simply cannot do it. It will not work. I know this. I've coached for 12 years. You cannot force something just because it's fashionable. Yeah. All right, Paul. So let's get into Chelsea versus Aston Villa. What do you got? All right, so our starting 11, we went with Kepa and Nett, mm-hmm. Marco Solanzo on the left, Andres Christensen, and Antonio Rudiger, center back in pairing, Espilicueta on the right, Kovacic, Conte, Mason Mount in the middle, Giroud uh, up top with William and Ruben Loftus-Cheek mm-hmm. on the wing. Okay, Gabe, what were your first thoughts when you saw the lineup? Mm, I was certainly intrigued to see Angolo Kante at the DM spot, you know, at the yep. uh, the playing closest in front of the defense. That was certainly interesting. It made more sense, like, as the game went on and certainly after the game, thinking about how many times Jack Grealish went down <laughs> and, and Kante was just able to smother him. So that made sense to me later on. But just off of first glance, that was my first little, like, whoa, what's going on here? Where's Billy Gilmore? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I'll just add to that, although I do believe Conte played a pretty decent game, and I'm not his biggest fan, uh, I would say that Jorginho was missed there at that, because he to me, he's a straw that stirs the drink. He is that metronomic pivot that allows us to play the Frank Lampard wants to play. But on top of that, I would say Ruben Loftus-Cheek starting at wing was a miscalculation by Frank Lampard. Ruben Loftus-Cheek is a great player, but he was not ready, and he is not a natural wing. Not having Pulisic in the lineup was a misstep. It just was. Paul, what do you think? I thought N'Golo Kante 
you know, back to his more natural position. Mm-hmm. He, I thought he looked pretty darn good. Um, and Ruben, I get it. We want to get him time. We want to get him back into things as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be important to this team moving forward. But obviously he's a little bit rusty. Mm-hmm. I liked what I saw from him, just like the energy. Um, you could see he was, you know, trying to move the ball around and be involved as much as possible. But at the end of the day, Pulisic came on and he created the goals, was involved in both of them. So, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I, I was surprised Pulisic didn't start. Yeah, and I mean, we'll be called homers because we're American and Chelsea fans, but objectively, he is a very good player. And he should be starting for this team on most days. And he didn't. And he proved Frank Lampard wrong today. Let's be very clear. That's what he did. Uh, Shane, what do you think about the lineup? Uh, the lineup was interesting. I agree with the assessment of Loftus-Cheek on the wing. It was a mistake. That doesn't really lend to his strengths. And he's coming off a pretty major Achilles uh, injury, I think he had, when he mm-hmm. played in the turf in America. But that was a miscalculation. <laughs> The only other thing I point out is the fact that Alonso and Aspilicueta could not beat the first man with their crosses. Um, Villa was given Chelsea the width, and they, they had Giroud, and they didn't hang it up more than once. The one time Aspilicueta did beat the first man, Pulisic scored. Um, in relation to Pulisic, I think Lampard has given him a hard time. I don't know why, but it seems as if like he's having to prove that he's really up for it. I don't know if that has anything to do with him being American or they just want to make sure they bring him along slowly. But he's often had to like do more than anyone else in order to justify a bit. There's been games where Mason Mount has been off the ball and he continues to play. Mm-hmm. He's one of the favorites. And I don't think he's had as great as an impact as he should given the chances he's got. So there's definitely something going on there with Pulisic and Lampard. Uh, Gabe, what do you think about what's going on with Pulisic and Lampard? Is it anti-Pulisic sentiment, or does he just not like it? Dude, I, I mean, to be honest, I was wondering how much of the line, lineup today is reflected off of how much rotation is going to be happening. Mm-hmm. Like, I was thinking, like, all right, are players like, you know, uh, is Ruben going to get 60 today and then he's going to get 30 on, you know, in the next game? Is Pelusic going to get 30 today and then 60 in the next game? I I mean, originally, like at the start of the season, when he kind of like let him come into the lineup in a, like a slow manner, kind of in the similar way as to like Klopp brought Fabinho in after he signed with Liverpool, I wasn't too bothered about it. But certainly it seems like with Pulisic, he can be a little brittle. Mm-hmm. So it's hard. It, I wonder if it's hard for Lampard to like throw full faith in getting him out there for a full 90 each match with the worry that he could break down. The injury history is a concern, absolutely. But at the same time, I'm of the ilk that if you're healthy and you're effective and you deserve to start, you should start. And maybe Lampard is babying him a little too much. Maybe he doesn't like him. I don't know. But at the same time, I am always subscribed to the notion that if you are good and you are healthy, you should play. 
Um, Paul, what do you think? I, I agree with the rotation point. Um, you know, a lot of games in a short period of time, we're going to need everybody. And it being Villa, might you know, it's a good good opportunity for a lot of these guys to get some get some minutes that need it. But at the same time, you look what happened in the other games this weekend. This is the biggest game of the season for us. Uh, with a win, we're three points back. Uh, if we don't get three points, then you have United and Wolves right on our tail. So mm-hmm. this really was a big game. Yeah, no doubt. And I want to say one more thing that Shane brought up uh, about Espilicueta and Marcos Alonso. Their crossing is dreadful. And I am questioning why Frank Lampard doesn't play Emerson and Reese James in this game. If we want to be a crossing team and we have a 6-4 incredible in the air striker starting for us, why are you not putting the outside backs out there that have the skill set to whip proper balls in? Emerson can and Reese James can. As Piliqueta, he not only has he lost a step, but he is not a good crosser of the ball. He's too stiff. He does not have that joie de vivre. He does not have that arrogance to really play a ball in. He's he's a limited player going forward, and yet we continue to trot him out there and ask him to do things that he is not very good at. And that bothers me. And I don't know why Frank doesn't see that because I know he sees that. He's way too smart to not see it. So, I don't know. It uh, Whatever. All right. Let's go over the stats. <laughs> the game notes. What do you got, Paul? So, 55th minute, Pulisic and Barkley subbed on for Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Kovacic. 80th minute, Giroud came off. Tammy Abraham went on. Mm-hmm. And then in the 90th, Reese James went on for Willian. Um, as far as statistics, we go four shots on target uh, for Villa, five shots for us. Uh, we had 74% possession, 26 for them, 10 corners, two for them. Um, so, you know, we really had the chances. We did. The chances were there, especially in the first half. Um we created a lot of good chances and didn't put them away. Mm-hmm. And when you don't do that, you leave the door open to the other team. And credit to Villa, they made the most of their chances. Yeah, my dad's main criticism of Chelsea in general is that we don't shoot enough. But I thought we shot the ball a lot today. We took our swings. You know, there were some misses. But at the same time, I do appreciate that we were at least willing to rip it every once in a while. Um, do you have the stats on – how many times Jack Grealish went down? <laughs> I'll tell you, we had, I think it was 17 fouls. I it, think I think it was 10 times. I think Nizar Kinsella tweeted out that it was the most time that a player had been fouled since like, you know, in like years in one match. <laughs> yeah. So he had over half of their, yeah, of their of their fouls. So that's unsurprising because he is the most fouled player in the league. Yeah, but here's the thing. And Shane will appreciate this. I feel like the referees, whenever they ref Jack Grealish is like in the key and peel skit. When Jordan Peele, 
all right, is looking for the three pumps from Hingle McCringleberry when he's doing his celebration, and he's right there. He's right there, really getting into it with that whistle, waiting for that third pump. <laughs> he is waiting for that third pump. It is absurd how much the rest enjoy calling fouls for Jack Reavers. They're like, oh, here it comes. Here it comes. <laughs> third pump, baby. Hingle McCringleberry. And I just I, – it's so frustrating to watch him play because he is a great – player but he is so annoying and he looks to get fouled every time he gets the ball and i don't like that mentality because Cesar got fouled all the time too but he did not look to go down he only went down if he was forced to go down and Grealish, i don't know it, it, it it's it's just an annoying tactic what what do you think about that shane because i i know that you at least feel some frustration that i do about this <laughs> Yeah, it, it is annoying, but you got to also understand Villa is in a relegation scrap and Jack Grealish uses his body well. Mm-hmm. So if he yeah. can stop the play as many times as he does, it gives him a chance to take a breather, get people in place and take advantage of those long free kicks. As Paul pointed out, they had about 26% possession, so which means that they spend most of the games backtracking. On average, a player touches the ball for four or five minutes during a game. So with 26% possession, they probably had less than a minute touches each. Mm-hmm. So that reiterates the fact that they really need to take advantage of those stoppages so they can get breeders and get in position. Mm-hmm. And it's clearly a part of their strategy. Oh, yeah. that's They got their goal after that. Right. Yep. But at the same time, if he was on a better team, they would not want him to stop momentum that often. Like, I remember we would be on a break and Murata would go down really easily on a swift breeze and it would kill our counterattacks or, and it would kill our momentum going forward or any opportunity that we thought we were going to have when we caught the defender sleeping, but he would go down and it would kill our momentum. So yeah, when, not if, but when Jack Grealish goes to a better team, probably Tottenham, I don't think Mourinho is going to want him to just go down that often. Um, oh, he, he's, he's not going to Tottenham, Arsenal for sure. that's really funny it's the bold um um, so yeah anyway so let's get into the goals paul um the first one and i kept i texted you and Kristen this stop fouling jack grealish stop fouling him and what happened we fouled him and boom they get a really good opportunity and they made the most of it that's right 43rd minute off of a free kick uh, Keppel made a, a good first save, but you know, spilled it kind of right in front, and they were there to knock it home. Yeah, and we go into halftime down one. Yeah, I was stressing, no doubt. And Gabe, I want to get your perspective on this. Whenever we have a free kick, to me, it's squeaky bum time. Like, I, I am so stressed out every time that we get a free kick because we are terrible at defending set pieces. What do you think? I couldn't agree more, man. I I still, for the life of me, have not been able to figure out which center back pairing of ours Mm -hmm. is the most complete. It honestly seems as though none of them fit as a two and in in terms of their pluses and minuses, and we're always going to be left a little bit shaky at the back. I mean, certainly when Kepa cleared that ball, there was no one was there to be found. There was, I mean, Rudiger looked like he didn't know what he was doing. Christensen looked like he didn't know what he was doing. No one, no one was there. It's a fair point. 
Yeah, I mean, I really rate Andreas Christensen because of his ability on the ball, but he didn't play well today. And Rudiger was a sloppy mess. Let's let's call it let's call it what it is. He did not play well either. And that center back pairing, man, it just seems like nobody wants it. And that that position is there for the taking. Maybe it just comes down to us buying Gabriel, the Brazilian kid from Lille. That may just be the answer. But for now, it just doesn't seem like anybody really wants to start that position and take the bull by the horns. But uh, Kurt Zuma. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Next. All right, 60th minute. Pulisic finishing off Aspilicueta cross. And really, like you said, Shane, the first cross he got up and over everybody into a dangerous position and Pulisic on the back post being where he's supposed to be putting it home. Yeah, just doing the business, man. I'm so proud of him. I'm so – Americano, man, I'm so proud of him. The guy, the guy really wants to play well for this team. He really wants to be here. You can just totally tell. And uh, hopefully Lampard will start trusting him more. What do you think of the goal, Gabe? Um, what's funny about it is, is he kind of popped up right in the spot that Ruben had earlier on in the match. I think it was from a potent, from a mount cross on the right-hand side, or it might have been a Willian cross, and he was just like a, a half a yard behind it. And the cross went right through. I mean, that's a spot where Lampard wants the wingers to get in behind and score. I think there was like a, a hudson Adoy goal that was kind of similar um, earlier on in the season. So it's good to see Pulisic get, on, get mm-hmm. in on the end of it there. But, I mean, certainly those crosses come <laughs> few and far between, yeah, don't they? Yeah, it's so frustrating. <laughs> it's so frustrating. All right, uh, second goal from Shane's boy. The the big old Frenchman, Le Hanson, the fragrance by Olivier Giroud. <laughs> Break it down for me, Paul. So maybe a minute later in the 62nd minute, uh, another Aspilicueta cross and Giroud in the box, takes one touch, striker's goal, turns, and puts it home. Mm-hmm. He... Uh... He's not my first choice as a striker, but he is effective. You know, if you get him in the box, man, he is he is a tough customer. He is a tough ask for any center back to deal with if he doesn't have to use the speed that he does not have. Uh, but if you get him in a position where he can use his body and he can be industrious, the dude is effective. What do you think, Shane? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it was a typical Giroud goal, and it highlighted the strongest aspects of his game. Him and Mason Mounts played a one-two off each other. Mm-hmm. Then they got it a while. Aspilicueta popped up in a position, I think, in left back, and squared it back to Giroud. And Giroud did what all good strikers did. He took a touch, didn't panic, and got a shot on goal. He was a bit lucky with the deflection, but it just shows that striker's instinct that Paul spoke about. And as much as we might not like Giroud, his, his um, conversion rate is about 60%. Mm-hmm. And if you're a bit a championship team, which I think Chelsea is doing, you need players like him, and he would have no problem playing enough games just to make sure he gets into the French national team. So it's a win-win for all involved. Oh, yeah. No, it's, there's an understanding with Chelsea and Giroud that his goal is to play one more world. Or is it a World Cup or Euros? It's Euros. Yeah, yeah it's, it's Euros. Euro, yeah, 2021. Yeah. yeah, there is an understanding there that 
he is using Chelsea to make sure that he is in that fucking team because come hell or high water, Deschamps is not going to play Moussa Dembele. Like, it's just, it's not going to happen. He just needs to make sure from a PR perspective that Giroud has enough minutes that his start is justified. Um, What did you think of the goal, Gabe? It's not a coincidence that the two crosses that actually made their way through ended up in <laughs> goals. It's, it just seemed like there was quite a lot of space in the box to be had mm-hmm. from those crosses, but we just couldn't get the delivery right. The thing is, though, is that like I feel like a lot of people were crying for Reese James to come out there to deliver those crosses in. But did you guys not feel that once Reese James came on, he made like three or four <laughs> crucial mistakes and okay, lost possession? Okay, so I called Paul right after the game and I said... Now, don't get me wrong. I love Reese James, but did he spark a bowl at halftime? Was he stoned? Because the dude was completely out of it, and he looked like he was on the weed. And, <laughs> and uh, I was like, yo, Reese, buddy, we love you, but you're losing the ball in crucial in a crucial time during the game, and it is not doing us any favors, buddy. What is going on here? So, yeah, I'm with you, Gabe. Something something was going on there. Now, he probably wasn't stoned, but it would explain it. Just rusty. You could see it in a lot of these guys and pretty much all the games this weekend. Uh, getting gassed, you know, not having the legs, and it gets sloppy at the end of the match. Yeah, none, none yeah. more so than the Tottenham-Manchester United game. Holy yeah. smokes, were they out of shape. What do you got, yeah. Shane? Yeah, I was about to say, I think Reese James was trying a bit too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the type of game that he would take advantage of with his speed and his crossing ability and also his ability to beat a man 1v1. So I think he tried to do too much in the two minutes that he was on for. Yeah, He should have just made it simple, took his minutes, and get ready for next game. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem, and that's the gamble that you take whenever you sub on a dude uh, that did not get a lot of time and the game is really worn down you're going to get a dude just trying too much. He, he yep. is going to make up for the fact that he didn't start and, you know, it's probably bothered him. And yeah, he just, he was overthinking everything and that's okay because we still won, but I do not expect that type of performance from him again, because he's a very, very capable player and uh, he should know better. He should. And a starter. And he absolutely, he's absolutely a starter. He's going to start, yeah. but uh, yeah, he just, Probably show up to the game stone and Frank's like, yeah, you're not going to start. So uh, <laughs> it is what it is. All right, Paul, what else we got? So what do we got? Who's your player of the game, Carlito? Uh, Mason Mount. Mason Mount. The guy is industrious. He just works his nuts off. And he's not the best player we have. He's not. But Frankie loves him. He's my father's favorite Chelsea player. Shout out to Father's Day. And, uh, yeah, I get why he plays. Now, he next year, he will not be a starter for Chelsea. He just will not be. Hakim Ziyech is a better player. Uh, Timo Werner is a better player. And if we get Kai Havertz, I mean, <laughs> see you later. But Mount is absolutely deserving of a spot on this team. And I just – I really like him because he cares. He cares a lot. You can just totally tell he gives a shit. What do you got? I, I, what do you got? I feel like, I feel like you've uh... – turned over a new leaf with him yeah i have i have because uh he does get too many opportunities from frank he does and frank let's be real he favors mason mount but i do understand at least to a certain extent why what do you got gabe player of the game 
I do like, yeah. So I do like the mount performance. It didn't really seem like he put a foot wrong the whole match. So I can understand that. I mean, going off of basically stats alone, you could get a shout for Espa Laqueta with the two yeah. assists. But I'm going, I'm going Pulisic though. Just uh, when he when he came on, there was a, a different energy about the team, a different sense of urgency. So, and he ended up getting the goal. How about you, Shane? Oh, I'm 100% going with Pulisic. Before he yeah. came on, Chelsea were a bit um, one-sided. They weren't dynamic. There wasn't energy about the team. There wasn't an unpredictability. And as soon as he came on, everything changed. He got the all-important goal. He had flashes. He proved dangerous. Definitely the man of the match because he changed the game. Mm-hmm. Paul, what do you got? Well, I, I'm, I'm on board with Pulisic as well. And like Gabe highlighted, um, he brings he he kind of has that killer instinct instinct on the pitch where he forces um, defenders into tough decisions. He's running at people. He he creates things. And in a in a match like this against a team that's gonna pack the box and you know make you earn it, you need guys like that who are gonna be brave and force the issue. And we don't have many of those players. Mm-hmm. So he, he's an important player for us. I mean, Willian, and I'm a fan of Willian. I always have been. I think he's, he's been a great servant of the club. But Willian wants people to know that he's working hard. But that does not mean that he's always working smart. And some of the decisions that he makes are selfish decisions because he is just inherently a selfish person and a selfish player. Good, good player. Always been good for Chelsea. But I question his intentions sometimes. But with Pulisic, I know that he's just doing what it takes for the team. Uh, same with Mason Mount. Same with, uh, you know, a couple other players. But really, yeah, Pulisic, I just trust him, man. I really, really just trust him. I like him. So, Chelsea now into fourth. Mm-hmm. Crucial. Three points. Yep. Yep. Three points back of Leicester. We have United and Wolves behind us by five points. Mm-hmm. So I really want that third spot in the table. Yeah. Uh, are you are you stressed about table position, Gabe? You know, um, I could have been and I was going into this match, certainly, because it seemed like one of those matches where everything's going to go our way and then we put up a stinker and like basically lose the entire opportunity that was built for us. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit more comfortable now after we got the three points in the bag today. I have a little bit of breathing room on the back end. I could certainly see United slipping up against Sheffield United coming up this week. Even a draw would do us some good. So I'm I'm feeling pretty good about it, quite honestly, especially given that our team is so healthy yeah. now. I mean, I know we were talking about a little bit earlier about rotation and worrying if players were going to get 60 minutes. I mean, we got, what is it, eight games yes. ne- left now? Plenty of time for people to rotate in and out of the side. All of our players are, are fit and able to play. You know, Conte actually looks decent now. He doesn't look like a little tired yeah. and knackered now. So... I'm feeling pretty good about it. You know, it's interesting you say that. Um, Yeah, I mean, I look at the team that we have. We have a lot of good players. But, but, there is a flip side to this coin with the rotation argument. I look at Liverpool, and they don't rotate 
at all. And now that I say that, I mean Minamino started for Liverpool today against Everton. I'm watching, I'm watching <laughs> the game right now. But for the most part, their front three is always the same. And I am concerned that players will get discouraged if their starting lineup, although it should never be guaranteed, is, is not something that they're anticipating. Like, if, if they don't know if they're going to start, I think that psychologically that can be detrimental to a player. And with Liverpool, I mean, they know who their front three is, and it has served them well, Gabe. So I am always a little skeptical of the rotation argument. What do you think? Well, I mean, with only so many games left in the season, I think it's an opportunity to kind of see what you have going into next season, given that I don't know if like the off season is going to be shortened at all. It's certainly going to feel that way because the next next season is going to be on us before we know it. But honestly, all of these guys are kind of auditioning right now to play second fiddle to Timo and potentially Kai Havertz and Ziyech next year. Right. So it's kind of see what you have when you have the, when it, while you have the space and time to do it right now, right? As long as you get the ball over the line and you end up getting the three points, you kind of just have to see what you have. I'm with you. And what do you got, Shane, on uh, rotation? Because Arsenal yeah. rotates too. I mean, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Arsenal is a good example of rotation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a good example of anything right now. I cannot um, believe you have to watch and cheer for Matteo Ganduzzi. He is the uh, worst. Uh, you yeah, actually think I'm going to go on a bike ride the next game and just catch the highlights. <laughs> just uh, get a nice little sweat on, Shane, huh? <laughs> exactly. But in terms of Chelsea's rotation, I'd have to agree with Gabe. I think over the lockdown period, Lampard would have had the conversations, the players he wants, and telling them exactly what he needs to see from them to be featured next season. And the players who are on borderline, he would have told them, hey, here's what you've done well, here's what you haven't. You're on the list to be moved on. You have this amount of games to and training sessions to change my mind. And let's see what you can do there. So it's definitely an addition for next season. And rotating the players now is not so more of like knowing you start in 11, building confidence. It's just making sure you get that top four spot, you qualify for champion league, and you show your best qualities to be part of the team for the next season. Yeah, because let's be real, this is entirely about the next season. Because I it think... Is. With Timo Werner, Havertz, Hakim Ziyech, maybe Ben Chilwell, you know, Roman Abramovich and Marina are not going to be as forgiving about some of the points that we've dropped this season, next season. Frank Lampard is going to have to produce. That is the modus operandi of Chelsea. Chelsea wins trophies. This is what we do. We give a shit about our trophy cabinet. We are not Tottenham Hotspur. We are not Arsenal. We care about winning trophies. And so Frank Lampard will absolutely be expected to win shit next year with all the money that we are investing in a damn pandemic. We are the only team spending huge. And with that comes expectations. So, all right. What else we got, Paul? So let's get into um, your guys' questions for Gabe. So – Gabe, uh, I love the podcast, The Right Time with Bomani Jones. It is so funny. Bomani is so ridiculously smart and articulate and clever. And Shane and I have been listening to the podcast and the show on ESPN Radio prior for a long time. 
I just got to ask you, how did you get hired as the producer? Not that you're not a great at it because you are, you're great. But how did you get the job? Um, so I've been with ESPN for about mm-hmm. six years now. I've had an interesting journey overall where I started in radio. I moved out to Connecticut from the West Coast. I went to school in L.A. I was an intern at ESPN in L.A. Um, started in radio in uh, ESPN in Connecticut. Kind of worked my way up a little bit there. I switched off and went to First Take <laughs> and worked on First Take for about a year. Um just because there was a little bit of log jam in terms of like who was getting the kind of like right assignments, that sort of thing with different shows. Then I I switched over to digital audio because he was uh, certainly interested in podcasts. I love podcasts and they have the best like work-life balance of any medium really because you're basically just nine to five Monday through Friday. And I was getting a little tired of having to work like overnight work early too too early in the morning all that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff so i started working in in podcasting and i was kind of on a bunch of different shows and um when they decided to put bomani's podcast uh on for us i got the assignment and it was as simple as that i don't think there was really um um, too much thought that went into it in terms of like me specifically. It was just more kind of a lucky chance yeah. for me. I uh, full disclosure, I worked for ESPN Radio uh, locally here. I live in I live in Salt Lake City. Uh, I worked locally here on the marketing side for three years before I moved on to a, uh, a national marketing firm, um, which is what I do now. But yeah, no. So I understand the whole. Uh, <laughs> producer being asked to do way more than his job description it's like oh shit i'm working on something at 10 30 at night i did not sign up for this so i i completely understand when you say that uh you know those hours they can get frustrating and they can get um they they, they ask too much sometimes so i can understand that but with bomani in particular do you are you satisfied with the content do you feel like it is uh, strong because I know that it's strong and Shane knows that it's strong. How do you feel about it? Uh, I think I feel good about the show that we're doing. Certainly there was like a, you know, a little bit of trepidation on my part with taking over such an established show and an yeah. established brand from the former Shannon. producer, Shannon, you know, Shannon and Bo had a special relationship, you know, and the way the show that they were able to do and the way that they worked with one another was special and something I'd, you know, I'd, I'd never be able to replicate. Um, and so I just try to do the best show I can, you know, and, and give the people what they want and try to make sure I kind of have my finger on the pulse of things so that I know exactly how people feel about what we're doing. And yeah, I just try to bring my own distinct flavor to the show and try and make it so that people learn something. Yeah. New every I time. love the, if you haven't heard segment, it, it gets me every time, man. And now we hear from tech uh, in the Gabe best voice. Shane, what do you got for questions for Gabe? Uh, Gabe, I actually got two questions. Um, you mentioned uh, First Take. Um, was that when Skip Bayless was on First Take you work with him? Uh, it was right when Max Kellerman was hired um, to come on with First Take. So that was just a couple of years back okay. now. And how, how was it working with my man, Stephen A. Smith? Oh, the best. The GOAT. The GOAT. 
It was interesting, man. It was interesting. I mean, he's certainly like a, a larger than life yeah. character. <laughs> um, always, always kind and always polite to me. Um, it, it was a fun experience. I, I learned a lot. And, you know, it's after so many years of working at ESPN, you kind of lose the shine that comes with working so many like with so many high profile talents. So you the way you you start to realize, you know, these are just these are just people, you know, just people like you and me. And um, when you start to look at it that way and, and talk to people mm -hmm. that way, too, I think a lot of people like Stephen A or Max, you know, or Molly, if you kind of. Uh, address them or talk to them as if they're superstars and you're, you know, this, uh, only a humble servant, then you're not going to get to know uh -huh. the real them. Yeah. Interesting. And now on to my man, Bomani. Um, as Carl highlighted, I'm a huge fan of Bomani. And what what I enjoy about him is his commentary is, is deep, but it's also insightful and he's witty with his responses. Um, he touches everything from pop culture to race to current relations, a little bit of politics here and there. What separates him from other producers and what characteristic you think you have that makes you stand out and able to perform at such a high level? I think I just bring a different perspective to things maybe than a lot of other producers would. Um, you know, I'm, I have like a different background. I'm, I'm not as much of a like tried and true American mm. sports fan. At this point in my life, I'd say like growing up, I was like growing up in the Bay Area in California, I was like a big 49ers fan and like Warriors and uh, like just basically the regular kind of stick and ball sports kind of uh, here stateside at least. But over the last maybe five to 10 years, I've gravitated a little bit away from being more of a traditional sports fan and I kind of and more interested in the things that go on around yeah. the game. And that's where Bomani and I really hit it off because those, the types of things that he's interested in are the same things that I'm interested in. So when it comes to like picking topics for the show and thinking about the way we're going to address things, he, I give him all the creative license in the world because it's his show, yeah. you know, and I'm just, I'm just the producer. I'm just there to kind of like steward things and put them in the right position. So, you know, he and I will chit chat about, what he wants to talk about and I just let him kind of plan in his head exactly how he's going to go about it and I do my, you know a little bit of prep on my own to make sure that I'm there to be able to ask questions and help guide the conversation but you know the like what we talked about a little bit earlier with if you haven't heard and different stuff that uh, we've done this with the show like the book oh, club yeah. and the long you know the different series that we've done that's like I'd say maybe something that I bring to the show that's different than what another producer is, just that I think a little bit outside the box. Yeah, when maybe. you guys did the Friday Night Lights book club, it was a four-part thing. You had Dom on. You had the, the author, Bissinger, on. Uh, I thought it was just an extraordinary concept. And my whole thing about Friday Night Lights is that it's actually not a sports book, the same way as Moneyball is not a sports movie. Uh, it's, a, it's about a town. And it's about what sports represents and how oil really is the driving force behind how people feel.
during the day. And that was, it was just such a great thing that you guys did. And I, I hope you do more of them because I just absolutely love the Friday Night Lights book club. I thought it was so great. Um, so my last question to you before we let you go, and I really appreciate you guys, you giving me the time and Shane appreciate you coming on as well. My last question is simple. Do people at ESPN really hate Will Kane as much as he says they do? <laughs> oh, oh, that is a, it's a sore subject, certainly as a Bomani's producer and, you know, the fact that he uh, is in Bomani's spot, at least from a radio yeah. standpoint, I would say, I mean, it's, it's, um, there certainly is kind of like uh, a contrarian uh, environment and nature going around around mm-hmm. with Will. Um, and, you know, a lot of it's kind of, I don't want to say of his own making, but when, when you have strong opinions, there are going to people be people that inevitably disagree yeah. with you. Right. So he is, you know, different than any other talent that ESPN had and ESPN has. And, you know, I wish him the best. Yeah, I actually think he's necessary. I listen to a show. I don't agree with everything he says, but I think that it's important to have different views. You know, he calls it an echo chamber at ESPN. Now, there's maybe a little bit of that, but I don't know. I like that he's a little bit of a dick. I like that he's, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not conservative, but he, you know, he is, and he brings just a little bit, something a little bit different. So I wonder who's going to replace him. Maybe it's uh, Bart Scott, um, which would be awesome because he's amazing. But anyways, yeah, Shane, if you have any more questions for Gabe, I'm, I'm good, man. I'm I'm satisfied. I, I thought he was great. Yeah, no, nah, um, I'm all set. I just want to say thank you again, Gabe, for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Anytime, guys. Happy to come on whenever, whenever oh, I get the call. We will definitely be having you back if you if you have the time. So I will make that call for sure. Paul, any, any final thoughts besides uh, thank God that we won today? Up the blues. Yeah, buddy, London is and will always be blue. Shane, don't you ever fucking forget it. All right, this has been the London Calling Podcast. I'm your host, Carlito. Have a good Father's Day, fellas. Peace.